Good morning. Beating to the punch. This is our 25th year as a church, and um, we have been a church that has always created space for more people uh, because we serve a God who has created space for us. Um, Jesus said that um, in my Father's house there is many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is the one who prepares a place. He creates space for us. And uh, what's, this is the first Sunday here that we're doing two services. And the reason for that is space, not for us, but for, for others. We are passionate about all people knowing God, finding family, discovering purpose, and make a difference. So I just want to thank you for being a church that's flexible about that and being a participant in that, being, being a church that, that loves to create space for people, for more people to know and love Jesus. So well, well done. Well done. Um, we are in a series on uh, spiritual gifts. Um, titled A Better Way, and I know that some of the more Pentecostal are super excited about this, or like about time. I mean, I see you in the lobby, you're like stretching out because you don't want to pull a hammy because you're like, man, it's going to be loud and proud, we run around, it's going to be awesome. And some of you are like, man, I just started liking this church. If this gets weird, I'm out. And so I just want you to know that I see both of you, I love both of you, And Paul, in these three chapters, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, he wants to help us. He wants to show us a better way and and letting us know that gifts are not governed. They're not not governed by self-expression. They're not governed by personality. They're not governed by preference, but they are governed by love. And this world has lots of opinions. Uh, It's a little short on love. And my hope is that as a church, as a church that loves to create space and, and connect with people, is that we would, uh, we would excel in love, that we would pursue the gifts of the Spirit uh, so that we would also grow in the fruit of the, the Spirit, and the chief one of that is love. And today I'm going to teach a bit, which means I'm going to get more into the details about some things. I want us to understand a few things, to, but I, I, it makes me nervous because I don't want us to lose the big picture, and the big picture is that our focus should, is actually should not be on gifts, uh, but the giver. Not on gifts, but the, but the giver. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you're like, oh, man, like, do you, you know, what do you think about the gifts? What do you think about the gifts? And, and the reality is the big picture needs to be on the giver. The whole point in thrust behind spiritual gifts is that you and I would know and experience God. That's the big picture. God is a father. He's after a family. And the best thing in the world that is that we would experience him. God wants to be known, and he wants to be experienced. He wants us to connect with him. And when you open up your Bible, we see in the creation account that he walked with them. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And, and God was looking for friendship, but did he get friendship? No, 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 no. He got rebellion. God was not content with this, this disconnect of relationship. So he went on a search and rescue mission. But it's important to see that God does not just rescue for the sake of rescue. He rescues for the sake of of relationship, but you know, he's not like a superhero like Batman or, or, or Spider-Man or, or Superman. They just rescue to rescue and they run and hide in the darkness of the night. They wear a mask because they do not want their identity to be revealed. I think a lot of us think God is like this superhero. Like, you know, when we're in trouble, he comes and rescues us. And then after that, he puts on a mask and he goes in the darkness of the night. He does not want to wear a mask. He does not want to go in the darkness of the night. He wants a relationship. He wants us to experience him. In Psalm 107, 
uh, it says that he turns, this is what God does. He turns a desert into pools of water. He takes our dry, crusty soul and he makes them alive. He, he takes our heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. And he goes on, I parch land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell. Uh, water in the Bible is references or images uh, the spirit of God, that the spirit of God comes into a place and where it's dry and, 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 and crusty, it, it brings life. And it says there they establish a city to live in. And that's what we want. We want to establish um, the city. We want to establish churches around the presence of God. We want God's presence to be felt. We want people to experience the presence of God. I want to experience uh, the presence of God. This is about what Jesus is doing. This isn't about, um, you know, some middle-aged guy with a microphone, what he's up to. It's not about a building. It's not about a theology. It's not about a preference. It's not about a pro. It's not about any of that. It's about what Jesus is up to. And the litmus test of the gifts of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, and particularly love. The ultimate expression of God's Spirit is not how many gifts we use, but how much love that we have for one another. We can use our gifts, Paul says, and this was talked about a lot last week very helpfully uh, by John, that we can use our gifts out of love or we can use our gifts out of self. But listen, there is no loving reason to not use gifts. The reason why we don't use gifts is unbelief and fear. Now, I want to help us a little bit, which is why I want to teach with the unbelief part. Because maybe just, maybe you haven't heard, I don't know. Or, but I would imagine there, there's a few, more than a few of us who would who had to have fear around spiritual gifts. I just want to say I have fear around spiritual gifts, to be honest with you. Um, and it's important to recognize that. And teaching will address the unbelief, but teaching won't address the fear that you have. That's something that you'll need to come to Jesus with. And I just want to know that you're in a, you're in a safe place. We're friends, and that's okay. And, and you can receive prayer today. I hope that you do for that. So let's get into it. Okay, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and earnestly, you can underline earnestly, desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. There are four views when it comes to spiritual gifts. The first one is the sensationist position, which simply means that they believe that gifts have ceased. And they get this from basically just one verse in the Bible. It was in, the, it was in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, when the perfect comes, you know, we won't need to prophesy. We won't need spiritual gifts anymore. And they, see the, they would say the, the perfect is the Bible, that when the Bible comes, when the Bible, the canonization of the Bible, when we have the whole Bible, when that happens, we won't need spiritual gifts anymore. Um, now, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of error in that. One is just that, that even understanding what that verse means. So if you read on in that verse, it actually says that when the perfect comes, that we will no longer see dimly, but we'll see the truth as we should, and we actually know ourselves too. Now, how many just reading your Bible, like you would say, I confidently know all truth, and I confidently know myself completely? Yeah, that, that hasn't happened. The perfect is, is Jesus, and that makes a lot more sense, that when the perfect comes, when Jesus comes, we, we'll see him, we'll become like him in a twinkling of an eye, and, and, and we'll, we'll know what we need to know, we'll experience all that we need to experience. He is the perfect. 
a little hermeneutic trick, trick that you use, not trick, but uh, a lesson, is that you, you, to understand a complicated verse, which maybe that is a bit complicated, you use simple verses. And there's just tons of scriptures that communicate that the gifts have not gone away. In fact, it says that we should earnestly desire them. It's going to end with like we shouldn't forbid them, that you shouldn't quench it. And so it's very, very clear that the Bible says this. You actually have to do quite a few uh, theological gymnastics to get to that place. So, but the, so you have the sensationist position. Then on the other end of the, the spectrum, you have the Pentecostal position. And man, these, they're fun and they're responsive and they say amen and and they're the ones that you call when you're sick. You, when, if you're sick, don't ask a sensationist to pray for you. Ask a Pentecostal to pray for you, and ideally a, a Nigerian Pentecostal. And it's just like they're, they're the ones that you want praying for you. But they will take, they, they'll say that they believe that the gifts are in full operation. Every Christian should experience them. Check. That's right. That's true. But what they, what the, their error that they go into is that they fill in the blanks that the Bible doesn't fill in. Which means even though that we should pursue them, that we should experience them, that it should be a normal part of church life. That's what they say. They, 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 they say, well, if you don't experience all of them or if you don't experience particularly tongues, that you may not be a Christian, there's something wrong with you spiritually. But again, the, the, where gifts come from, gifts don't come from this part of the building. They don't come right here. They don't come from the anointed speaker or preacher. They come from God. They come, God is the one who gives gifts. God apportions those and we can't, we, we, there, we, we have to be careful there, and so we want to stop short of, of, of Pentecostalism. And so there's a reactionary position that's come up called open and, but cautious, or charismatic with a seatbelt. You may have heard that term. I don't know. This position believes that gifts have not ceased. They believe that gifts have not ceased. So they're like, okay, I see biblically that they're there. But man, there's been a lot of manipulation. There's been a lot of bad things that have happened uh, you know, you know, psychological tricks, you know, guy calls you in the front, you know, he hits you on the noggin, you get the ghost, you do the charismatic shake and bake. And I just, I just don't want any of that. I don't want to be involved in that. And I understand that there's some hurt and pain that have happened. And, and so there's a reactionary position that comes up. And in a lot of cases, those I know who are open and cautious, they just haven't seen any good examples. They've seen just mainly bad ones. And in fact, when I help churches that are outside of our family of churches, one of the things that they want help with is they want, how, how do you guys use the gifts? They're open but cautious. They understand, but they just don't know how to do it. Um, and it's an understandable place to land. And I would imagine that maybe many people here would be, oh, yeah, I think I fall in the open and, and cautious place. But I just want to say that that's an okay place to visit. It's a terrible place to live. Um, because while you're getting the theology right in your head, you're not getting it right in your life. And if you're not getting it right in your life, you're not getting the theology right. Jesus was so clear. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You're not blessed for, for knowing something is true. You're blessed for doing them. His, his brother said something similar when he says, don't just be doers of the word excuse me, be doers of the word, excuse me, not hearers, only deceiving yourself. And that's what happens. If you know something is true and you don't do it, you fall into a kind of deception, which is a dangerous place to be. And here's it. If this is where you're at, it's important for you to come to the place where you realize that it's not your theology making you cautious. It's fear. And I want you to know, like, hey, you're, you're with family and it's okay and, and 
don't, if you have fear, that's, let's dress it. Let's, let's, let's pray. Let's pray together so God will deal with that. Which is why our, thir- our, our position at Jubilee Church on gifts is earnest and orderly. Earnest and orderly. Yes, there have been abuses, but gifts are meant to not just be passively accepted, but earnestly pursued. They're meant to be a normal part of church life. Um, and, and so we want to earnestly pursue that. We do want order. We do want we, there needs to be order. And, and Paul's going to say that over and over again. Um, but we also must pursue there's those tensions there. there. It's a tension, right? How do you be earnest and orderly? Well, you, it means you get it wrong. Sometimes we're uh, too earnest in church life. Sometimes we can be too earnest. Sometimes we can be too orderly. I think for the past couple of years, because of COVID and other reasons and, all, you know, you know, you know, meeting shorter and can I, can I pray for you? Can I breathe on you? Can I even look at you? Like, what can I do? And so we're not, we're, we don't know, but we've maybe been a little too orderly. And so we, we may need to learn into being, we need, may need to lean into being more earnest. Yes, we must avoid fleshly imitation and contend for order and decency, but we must, must pursue them. We want people when they come into one of our services or they're at uh, in a community group, or even they're just over at our house. We want people not just to hear a word. We don't want people just to discuss a word. We want people to experience a word. We want people to experience Jesus. So we pursue love. We earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Paul's going to, he's going to say, he's going to mention a lot of gifts, but he's going to say, you know what? Prophecy is the one that I really want you to go after. And he'll explain why. So for one who speaks in a tongue, I know that's it's a weird, in a tongue, what is a tongue? Well, the Greek word there is glossae, which just means glossary. It just means languages, right? So if you go to France, people speak French. If you go to Mexico, people speak Spanish. You know, if you go to the boot hill, they speak redneck. You know, if you go to, sorry. If you go to, if you go to heaven, they speak a heavenly language. It's, it means language. It speaks not of, not, um, in a tongue speaks not men, but to God. They don't speak to men, they speak to God. For no one understands him, but he utters the mystery of the Spirit. So tongue, speaking in tongues, is that you're speaking to God. In Acts 10, 46, we, we read that they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So here is a working definition of speaking in tongues. It's a form of prayer and praise you expressed to God in a language you do not understand. So you may not understand, someone else may understand it because sometimes you can speak in tongues and it, it's, it's, you speak another, another language known to someone, just not you. A lot of times you speak in, a, in, in tongues and you speak in a language that nobody on earth knows, only heaven knows. And there's some really cool things about that. It points to how God is bringing us all back under, you know, one family, you know, one Lord, one language. It's the language of heaven you know, sin entered the world and fractured everyone. The Tower of Babel happens. God disperses the world. They disperse them by language. So they, they used to be a common language. Genesis 11 come around. Uh, now, there's, now there's all these different languages. We learn later that uh, according to Jewish tradition that they thought there were 70 nations in the world. And so there are 70 nations, uh, 70 different languages. In fact, when the, when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, you can read about this in Exodus 
by Mount Sinai fell upon the 70 elders representing the 70 languages of the world. There was fire that came above them representing these different languages. So back, so in 12, uh, excuse me, Genesis 11, the, the languages get dispersed, uh, people get dispersed by language. But then in, in chapter 12, God gives this promise to Abraham that he is gonna, he's gonna still gonna, he's not giving up on his plan. He's gonna bless the whole world and he's gonna bring it all back together. And so that they, they got the lang- we got dispersed by language in Genesis 11, a Tower of Babel. Pentecost in Acts 2, which is either, you know, for some of you, that's your favorite chapter of the Bible, maybe the only chapter you know. For others of you, it's like your least favorite. But what was going on there is a reversal of. Babel and a, and a prophetic promise of what God was going to do, where all the ling- people were speaking in tongues and everyone understood what was happening. And so the, it's like this mysteries of heaven that you're speaking to God. And, and sometimes in, you're in a, a corporate gathering, someone could speak a, what's called speaking in tongues, speaking a tongue, and it's a heavenly language that only God understands. But God, in his wisdom, and he does this, this is so amazing, he'll give someone else the interpretation of that. And so when those things happen, it's like, man, who's in charge? Is it Brian? Is it David? Is it, who is it? It's God. God's in charge. It's his language. And so it's something that points to something amazing. That's why he says we sh- he, sh- he doesn't, even though he's going to say very strongly, by the way, I would rather you prophesy than speak in tongues. He says, don't forbid it because there's, there's this beautiful sign to it. So um, so he, then he says, on the other, because he says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So prophecy is something like, hey, everybody can get in on, and I want to encourage that. So here's a working definition of prophecy. Prophecy is spirit, a spirit-prompted utterance that may or may not be mixed with error. <laughs> it's not always right. It's why there is a gift of interpretation. There's a gift of wisdom. There's a gift of discernment. We need all the gifts because sometimes it's wrong. Prophecy is about 25% of your Bible. And in the old dispensation, your Old Testament, basically that age prior to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and ascension into heaven, before that, everything up to that, between the fall and that, prophecy was um, 100% true. It had no error in it. Uh, the prophecy in this new age of the Spirit that started when Jesus ascended into heaven and it will end, question mark, when he returns. This is the age that you and I live in. This is, this, this is the age of the Spirit. It does include error. In fact, in the Bible, in the New Testament, you read about this guy named Agabus who was a disciple who prophesied but there was error. You can read about this in, in Acts 21.10. He, he got the big idea right about Paul giving him warning to Jerusalem, but there, were de- there was inaccuracy in the details that would not be suitable for, to be called scripture. Like, this is infallible. So we, when we prophesy, we, 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 we see in part and we prophesy in part. There's, there's, there's may or may not be error. That's why we're able to reject any prophet who would come along and say, I, I prophesy without error. I am speaking to you the word of God. So like a prophet 
like Muhammad in Islam or Joseph Smith in Mormonism. They have come along and said, this, what I'm saying is now adding to the Bible or I'm correcting something or changing something or illuminating something different. We can say, no, that's not right. That's not the age that we live in. That's not what New Testament prophecy is. It, it's not infallible. It is, it is from, we can say it's spirit prompted and sometimes it can be all wrong or it can be just partly wrong or because there's, there's, the, there's the revelation that you get from God. There's the interpretation of that revelation. And then there's the communication of that interpretation of that revelation. There's a lot of things that can go wrong in there. But we still want to do it. We still want to eagerly pursue it because that's what the Bible says. And we love ourselves some Bible. Paul says he wants everyone in the church to operate in this gift. We believe he envisions a congregation where this is happening at, at so many different levels because it's, we want to see God active in our church. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, let me give you a few words. Number one, humility and a bit of uncertainty. That you never, you never speak, ah, this is God's word to you, if you're, if you're the one giving. You give space, and I would say lots of space to be wrong. And let them discern, and ideally let them with their closest friends, maybe an elder, discern maybe if that is from God or not. First Thessalonians, Paul says, do not despise prophesying. How do you despise prophesying? You never do it, you never receive it. So we don't want to do that. There's one end of the spectrum. But test everything. And if you're the one giving it, you can go ahead and take yourselves out of that equation. Let someone else test it. And so you receive it. Don't despise it. Receive it. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And just get rid of the bad part. The part that didn't work out. The part that is wrong. I have gotten a lot of bad prophecy in my life. You can't, I mean, I could tell you stories of people coming into my office with swords and pictures and all kind of <laughs> kinds of stuff and prophesy, the things I do for you people. And um, <laughs> you know what? I'm still alive. I didn't die. And neither, my faith didn't die either. And you, you'll be fine. It'll happen. We hold fast to the good part. We get rid of the bad part. So humility, uncertainty, expectation. Expectation. We, we should expect this. We shouldn't, to, eagerly, to be eager means to be leaning in, not leaning back. It means to be leaning in, not leaning back. If you're open and cautious, one of the questions that you might be running through your head is, what if it isn't God? 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 To be earnest means to change that question to, what if it is God? What if it is God? You see, because your, your concern is like, I don't, I don't wanna, I don't wanna communicate something that may not be God. I don't want something that is of, of me. Well, here's, what, here's how you are for sure to live your life where it's all you and not God, is you never prophesy. Affirmation. Affirm it. You can affirm it in 
a, a, a corporate setting like this, a community setting, like we just amen and yes and do that, Lord. Yes, I agree. But also affirm if someone gives you, gives you prophecy, even if it's like, so let's say you're at a group and somebody says something that's like really weird. Okay, let's just, let's just go to that example. You get in your car and you say, oh my gosh, that was really weird. And then you text that person and thank them. Here's why. The, the reason why we do spiritual gifts is because we love people and we want to see them built up. And we would love to be a conduit for God's love that God may want to say, God want, may want them to experience something through us. And most of the time, nine times out of 10, I'll be conservative, nine times out of 10, most of the time people do it. They're scared to death, just like you. They, they wonder if it's God, just like you. And they did it anyway. They, they leaped over their fear to give you that really weird word that maybe they just interpreted it wrong. Maybe they communicated bad. I mean, maybe there's reasons why it was weird other than that it was wrong. But even if it is, now, is there people who prophesy just to hear themselves talk? Yeah, there are people who don't prophesy just to hear themselves talk. They just, people like to hear, some people just like to hear. We have a whole section in our community. I'm gonna take you behind the scenes here. In our, when we train community group leaders, there's a whole section on how to deal with chatty people who talk too much. So we got you covered. Like, we're, we're thinking about you, all right? Somebody just raised their hand. Like, I, was, I wasn't looking at anyone in particular. Um, so let's affirm people. Edify them. It's for building up. If you ever, you don't prophesy uh, to bring judgment on New Orleans or Las Vegas or California or wherever you think is a bad place to be. I don't know. That's not what prophecy is for. It's also, here's a fifth one. It's also local. So if you, get a, if you get a prophetic word from some random person, delete it. If you get a prophetic word off the internet, delete it. Don't forward it. It's local. It's for the edification and the building up of a local community that know each other and love each other. I want to do two things. I want, to, I want us to be earnest. I want us to pursue it and want it. And I, and I also want us to be orderly. So I want to get rid of some of the stuff that isn't meant to be a part of it. I'm skipping some stuff. Guys, I'm in uh, verse 15 to 19, verse 18. I thank God that I speak tongues more than all of you. So he, again, he's not, but he says, nevertheless, and in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind. When you speak in tongues, you speak with your spirit in order to instruct others in 10,000 words in a tongue. 10,000 is the highest number in Greek. So he's just saying like a bazillion. So he's saying, I'd rather speak five words that everyone can understand. Jesus in my place, Amen than to speak a gazillion words in the spirit because when you gather, there are people in the midst that may not even, they don't, they're not a Christian, which means they don't have the spirit. They have no idea even to interpret what in the world is going on here. So it's way better. I'd rather speak just five words than to, to, 
to Babylon because this is about loving people and helping people understand who Jesus is. If therefore the whole church comes together and speaks in tongues and outsiders, unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Some people, oh man, wasn't that great? It was just like crazy and out of control. And you know, it's kind of like everybody was drunk. When, when I see drunk people, I get my kids like, okay, let's get out of here. You, the spirit does not make you out of control. You make you out of control. But if all prophesy an unbeliever or outside enters, he is convicted by all. He is called in account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he shall worship God. Isn't that what we want? A place where people like experience God. Like they don't experience like a helpful talk or, you know, whatever, or, or a so-so talk or whatever. I, I'll let you rate the talk. Or, you know, whatever it is, like our great kids programs, we want that or build. It's not about that. It's about people encountering God. This whole world, this whole life, all of history is about having a relationship with God. Wouldn't it be sad to have church services that are meant to be built around Jesus where you never really experience that? It would just be missing the point by a mile. So we want to be eager. And we want to contend for the presence of God. Why don't the band come forward and everyone can stand with me? Verse 26 says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one, this is not a trick question. How many of you here are, you're in each? Everybody should raise your hand. How many here are in each? You're in each. You're, you're a person. That's what I'm asking. Raise your hand. If you're Pentecostal, raise two. I know you want to. Um, what then, brothers, when you come together, each, you have a hymn. You have a lesson. You have a revelation. You have a tongue. You have an interpretation. All of these things, all of these things must be done. Let all these things be done for building. That's what we want. We want a built-up church. We want a built-up church. So here's this conclusion. I know I skipped a lot of stuff. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently in order. So there it is. Earnestly and in order. Earnestly and in order. Earnestly and in order. So I'm going to pray and, we, and maybe God would speak to you now. Maybe we can encourage each other with some prophecy. And we've got, we want to be, that's why we have God, we have David up here and we have, and, and John Hosses up here, elders in the church, because we want things to be orderly. You get a revelation, help you interpret it, help you communicate it. We want things to be done orderly. We want things to be helpful. want things to be, but we want to be earnest. So you're in a, you're in a great place. You got, you got, you got, you got leaders here who, who are contending for things to be orderly and we're contending for things to be the way they're meant to be. I want to encourage you to be earnest. I want to encourage you to lean forward. I want to encourage you to change a question from what if it isn't God to what if it is, you know what? And if it isn't, we'll all be fine we'll get through it. And if it gets really bad, we're like, 
we're all just constantly doing a lot of really unhelpful things, well, then we'll address that too. That's why Paul's writing this letter. It'll be okay. It'll be fine. We'll figure it out. God, we thank you that you don't just rescue to rescue, that you rescue for a relationship, that you want relationship, you want intimacy. We do pray for your presence to fall. We do want to, God, we're going to contend for to be orderly. We're going to contend for things to be done the best possible way. But God, will you help us to be earnest? going to see people come and they're going to say things like, you know, I have a picture, I got this. And if you if you never heard that language, all that means is that God is speaking to their mind's eye. And that's just the way our brain works. And Like if I was to tell you right now, if I was to ask you this question, what's in your backseat of your car? So go ahead and think about what's in the backseat of your car. What came to mind probably wasn't a list of things in your car. What came to mind was a picture of your back seat. And from that picture, you interpreted what was in your car. God does this all the time in the Bible. Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus is our light. Jesus is our rock. What is that? Those are pictures he's trying to communicate to us. God communicates through our mind's eye. So maybe you saw something. God. You've seen a picture of something. You were in worship. You were praying. You were something happened. And you and you just had like this sense. God speaking to your mind's eye. God wants to use you. He loves hanging out with his people. He's here right now. He loves using his people to bless his people. God, we thank you for your plan. We submit to your plan. And we pray, God, would you would you raise the level of passion for you in this place? Would you raise the level of passion to experience you? And may more people come into our services saying, surely God is in this place. The band.